Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before. He's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape from the penthouse of a partially completed commercial high-rise in glamorous Hollywood adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of one of LA's leading cement factories, this is The Tully Show. I am your allergy-afflicted Zyrtec-addled host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, the drummer of perennial Warp Tour Power Pop standouts, Motion City soundtrack, the one-time Doc Severinsen of Doug Loves Movies, and most importantly for our present purposes, host of the new podcast, uh, Bizarre Albums. Hello and welcome. There's that Zyrtec for you. Tony Thaxton. Hi. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, thank you so much for coming by. You are wearing a sticker that I have never seen anyone wear before. Is that our... Yes, it is. Oh, really? I, yeah. Did no one, no one wear it? Am I, am I the nerd that actually puts it on and no one else does? You might have been... So, obviously, this is a very new facility. Uh-huh. And it's, it's like, a, it's like the, the Death Star in Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like... It, you can see what we're going for here, right. but there's massive <laughs> gaping holes everywhere. And I know that there is a security protocol that, obviously, I can see you have followed. And I don't know if uh, they just finally got stickers in. And so now all guests moving forward will be wearing name tag stickers or if, yeah, if you're just the nerd who was was willing to wear one. I'd like to think that I'm uh, I'm setting trends here. People are going to hear that I wore the sticker, so now everybody's going to want to wear it. It will be the must-have accessory for all (laughs) all, uh, hourly, uh, weekly shows on the platform. So nice to meet you. I've been aware of your band and your career for some time. Thank Um, you. And... uh, I have to ask the elephant in the room to me, when did you first realize you almost share a name with the most aggressively mediocre R&B singer of our lifetime? Ah, uh, well, yeah. Thankfully, she has... Uh, oh, she's yeah. gone now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not as, as uh, you know, in the uh, zeitgeist as, as she w- was, because uh, her popularity came at a very uh, bad time for me. Mm-hmm. Uh Right when I was a freshman in high school, which is, you know, already not the best time. Where'd you grow up? Uh, well, that's the other part of it is I grew up in a small town in Michigan originally called Edwardsburg. But then as I was starting high school, my family moved to uh, just outside of Richmond, Virginia. So I was the new kid in school, freshman year of high school, mm-hmm. named Tony Thaxton, right as Tony Braxton also got popular. Oh, boy. Yeah. That song was so bad. <laughs> I which she, one are you referring to unbreak my heart okay because yeah that one even came that one came a little bit later i'm trying okay, to think okay, of when okay. she broke i'm trying right, to remember right, right. what she, the song was that she broke with she was established disposable garbage for some time before that which <laughs> was a whole other level of uh yeah that was i was gonna say you, you would have been a little bit younger than i thought that's right she had been around that song was really big when uh, right around the turn of the millennium yeah, I think so. Yeah, I was getting like mid late nineties or yeah, maybe even she later. She sounds bored in the song herself, <laughs> yeah. and yet for some reason it resonated so strongly with people. It was ubiquitous I, for like a year. Yeah, well, again, like even though her name has obviously been a huge thing in my life because yeah. everyone thinks they're the first person to say it to me. No, uh, I, I, I was I'm well. Aware oh no, I'm no, no. That, I'm yeah. not. I'm not saying that you thought that. Uh, but uh, it. Uh, I it, that's the only song I can think of from her though. I can't even remember what the other ones were. I think the other ones were even worse. 
Um, she sold 67 million albums. <laughs> I don't care. We've already devoted too much time to, to Tony Braxton. So what is, uh, what's your shit musically before we get into your more bizarre tastes? Uh-huh. What's your, what's your bread and butter? Uh, well, I am, uh, I'm a little bit all over the place. Um, probably like one of my favorite if not favorite artist ever is like Ben Folds, huge Ben Folds fan. Okay. Um, I'm also a big Beatles nerd. I know that's like, I always like hate saying that because it seems like such a, like, come on. But, uh, you, I'm just asking you truth, to, to name the bands you've listened to the most. I, if you, yeah, if you, I mean, you just it, so happen to like the most popular, most beloved band of all time, I'm not going to hold that against right, you. Right. But I feel like sometimes it's like people are like, oh, come on, the Beatles. I'm like, well, they're the biggest band ever for a reason like i still actually find them underrated in a way i can see that you can be so great that you could never be fully appreciated it would be more obnoxious to me if you claim that you like the beach base the beach boys more oh no yeah because there's that you know there's that this alternate history of rock and roll snobbery which is just utter with all due respect yeah balderdash Mm -hmm. right um but no and but then also like i love um like a lot of uh old like uh DC punk kind of stuff like but almost like the the later slightly later generation of that like late 90s early 2000s stuff like uh Q and not you and the dismemberment plan and bands like that I've heard of one of those all right <laughs> <laughs> um so I described your band motion city soundtrack as a power pop band agree or disagree because you would have been lumped in with the emo thing which the word right. just got stretched beyond all meaning yeah. and comprehension uh I'll take I will gladly take power pop. Did you think of yourself as a power pop band at the time? That's how I tend to have thought of you over the years. Um, I think so, mm-hmm. kind of. I, I, I don't know that I necessarily used that term all that often because I feel like it's in. A, even though it should be obvious, I think sometimes you can throw that word at somebody that that genre mm-hmm. uh, at somebody, and they're like, "Wait, what is that?" Oh, for real? I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's kind of all there in the name. Yeah, I know. That's what I yeah. would assume. Right. But, uh, you know, I'll take that, though, over <laughs> pop punk, because I think we would get thrown into that a lot. And I never I don't think any of us ever really necessarily thought of us as that. Uh, but it, there's hints of it there, I guess. But like, I think sure. we, we toured with a lot of those types of bands. And so I think we got kind of lumped in there. But I thought we were much more of like a pop band than a punk band. Um, Let me ask you, I, I feel like when you when you do think of yourself as a pop band in a sense pops mm-hmm. it pops a very weird word yeah, too yeah. because once you're using guitars and 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 drums and have some energy you know you're probably not gonna have a lot of top 40 success mm-hmm. so we talk about pop as a, it's like guitar pop is a totally different thing from yeah. like pop pop but i don't know if a metal band for example to pick one genre sits down thinking we need to write a a like a hit metal song you just kind of keep making the donuts, and you you got ten good songs. There's an album, and we keep on doing this over and over, and then we tour it and sell some shirts. When you're a pop band, do you have this sense of there's this holy grail that we're after? We need to come up with like the one. You know, I'm thinking of a band like the Posies that I uh-huh. feel like that was almost their deal with their fans. Yeah, was like you guys just keep reaching for that brass ring. We love all your, we love everything you're doing, uh-huh. but we know you've got one fucking perennial classic golden god standard in you. Uh-huh. Do you did you ever Think that way, or were you guys just making the donuts too? Um, and yeah, in all honesty, I don't really think we did. We just tried to write songs that we liked, and That's then right. you hope that other people like it too. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, you want to keep reaching and want to keep making stuff, and maybe outdo yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we kind of just had the mentality of we wanted to do this. If we get to a point where that 
is what we got to do for a living, great. And everything else and beyond that, sure. yeah. And everything else beyond that is like just kind of the icing on the cake, you know. And uh, yeah, I don't. I, and we, you know, we never we had some some success, but never uh, like we were not a radio band or anything like that. So um, you know, any pretty much any success we had came from like touring our asses off, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then that was kind of something I think we were all kind of proud of is that we didn't. Uh, we got anywhere we got, we got from working hard. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, for whatever it's worth that what you were up to, you're certainly on the right side of history. You know, time has not been kind. I don't think to all the other bands that would have necessarily been out on the, the warp tour, uh, every summer back in the, the second heyday of the, the warp tour, you don't have to agree or disagree with that. <laughs> I just, I think that's fairly obviously a fact, but I think if you look at where music is now, you can see that, uh, motion city soundtrack, uh, was, was, was onto something that many of those bands were, uh, very far away from. Well, thank you. That's, uh, that's kind and I'll take it. Okay. So now bizarre albums, have you always had an interest in bizarre music? I think so. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that. I've always had that fascination and kind of enjoyed just the weirdness or silliness behind it, whether it's intentional or not. Uh, and I think in the last um, year or two, maybe I think I've started to like embrace it a little bit more. I think maybe sometimes I would uh, hear certain things and kind of like laugh about them and, and, and maybe like share them occasionally with friends. But I think, uh, I think I don't know. I think I like had this like realization uh recently that of how much I I get into that stuff because the reason I I started doing the show was because I was just finding myself uh in spare moments that I had just going down these rabbit holes on either on YouTube or just Wikipedia or something finding out about this record or song I didn't know existed and then yeah, just going down and then suddenly you're quickly finding out like wait Tower Power Horns played on this song, like, and which, by the way, it seems like they played on every record that I've covered. Um, but yeah, it, it it just I find it all fascinating. Like, I just love those things that that yeah, they're that you're like, why, yeah. why, how? And it's very intoxicating that nowadays, you know, you used to hear like legends of, uh, you know, did you know they released an album of uh, Elvis Presley that was just him talking on stage. Yeah, I learned about that the recently. The whole entire yeah. time that's all it was and you and you'd say that's interesting, but you had no way of even verifying if that uh-huh. was, it's so stupid and pointless you assume it was true, but you had no way of following up on that. Nowadays, yeah. you know, I had these precious troves of, you know, home four-track demos of early versions of Guns N' Roses songs that uh-huh. were, you know, fifth generation cassette and it's, it's on YouTube. Right. It's all on you. Almost the more obscure it is, the more guaranteed it is to be there because it's not a run of the mill uh, obscurity. It's yeah. this really crazy thing that that uh, people know exists that they want to uh, want to share with people. It is fun. I know you've listened to some episodes of of this show, and and you make a point on your podcast of always saying that you're not making fun of these bizarre albums. And yeah, I think I understand why you're saying that. And I respect that. I would like to think that I'm more have fun with these things then yeah. make fun with them because it is it is a sort of joyful celebration to me it's always like uh you know I, I i do this for a living but i consider myself a musician when i go home i pick up a guitar i don't mm-hmm. listen to other people's radio shows or listen to my own radio yeah. show and i have chef friends uh-huh. and they are very happy to make perfect meatballs for people but when they get drunk after work they're looking for the place that serves 
frog lips uh-huh. because and then to me that's what this is is you love music so much that you just start to really celebrate all the little the little nooks and crannies yeah i just i love ridiculous <laughs> it, it, it kind of just uh combined all the things i really like i think and it just it like kind of just i i hate that this sentence is going to come out of my mouth right now because i feel like this sounds so pretentious and lame but it like really almost felt like a, a calling to me in a way just because I'm like, all right, I really love just ridiculous things. I love music and like weird trivia, pop culture facts, and I love podcasts. And so I just kind of put them all together. And like, I seriously can't tell you how much I enjoy making this show. Like it, it takes a lot. The episodes are short. They're only like 15, 20 minutes. But it takes a long time to get there. I bet it does. You can tell it has to be a labor of love. Either it's a labor of love or you're not going to be doing this show for very long <laughs> because there is a lot of um, very obvious work that goes into it with uh, tracking down audio or audio clips of, of video things. And then I know what a fucking bitch it is to just lay in. Just putting in the Happy Days theme song. Sounds easy. But fucking... <laughs> yeah. Well, and just do the, the you know tons of research that I end up doing, too. Sure, and that as well. But like... But it's honestly like super enjoyable to me because, mm-hmm. again, that's kind of why I started doing it because I just found myself doing that anyways. And so I just one night was kind of like, what if I tried to make something out of this? And um, again, like I have I work on a lot of different podcasts for other people. So I kind of, you know, I know how to do that. And I've done shows already. And um so I just decided I would try it. I didn't have like an exact plan. I'm just going to, I was like, I'm just going to like try to just start and see what happens. And um, yeah, it's been really fun. And like, it's to the point where like, I, I'm kind of obsessed with it right now. Like I, I get sort of bummed when I can't be working on it. Mm-hmm. Like well, that's how much I'm liking it. As they say, if you, if you do what you love, you're never really working, right? Yeah. So you have sent me um a, a couple of tracks from, what might be considered bizarre albums. And I thought we could listen through those and talk about those. And I put together uh, a couple of my own ideas. I knew that you and I were simpatico on some level because I was introduced to you. I want to actually thank the person who introduced us. It oh, is right. um, my Logan on Twitter. Thank you for, for putting us in touch with one another. But I found out what you did and I was like, oh, I'm going to throw um, the, the WWF wrestling album at him. Mm-hmm. And then I look, and sure enough, it is the very first episode. <laughs> yep, I had that on vinyl. Uh-huh. I, uh huh. I it's sorry. bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the name of the that, uh-huh. that is the name of the game here for yeah. people who don't know. Like, why was that just a even for a cash grab? It was an odd cash grab. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, I mean, it, it was uh, if I believe eighty five when it came out, uh-huh. and. You know, that was shortly after that first WrestleMania. So wrestling had become just enormous. And there was that whole Cindy Lauper connection. Like Cindy Lauper really Rock and had, wrestling, yeah. Yeah, so Cindy Lauper had this huge, uh, she was a huge part of why uh, the back then the WWF became so huge. Um, there was just, they were just doing all this cross promotion with like Cindy Lauper and MPV. Yeah. And Lou Albano's her dad in the music yep. video. And so it really just kind of went from there and, uh, and yeah, wrestling just blew up and because of her heavy involvement, um, yeah, her manager who was also her boyfriend at the time, uh, David Wolf was his name. Uh, just, I don't know. I guess the idea originally came from him, but then started talking to, 
everyone else about doing it. And then the weird part, too, is that a lot of those wrestlers like have weird musical connections already. So? There was a few. Well, the weird one, and I, I mentioned it on the show, that uh, you know Hulk Hogan was the biggest thing and actually has a music background, like used to be a, I don't know if it was guitar or bass. There seemed to be conflicting reports. Somebody told me this uh, a couple of days ago. Yeah. I, I was told bass. Yeah. It's one of those things you look up online and depending on the article you read, it says something different. Right. But uh, yeah, he's not, he's not on the record though. He's no, not, he's no, not I know. What a, what a fucking pussy. Oh, yeah. you're right. He's not. And people remember him for um, the Rick Derringer song. That yeah. he, oh, this guy who cut my hair was telling me he, all they have is old wrestling pay-per-views on the uh-huh. place where I get a haircut. He's the one who told me all this. Um, they made the Rick Derringer song Real American his theme song, which is the song Hulk is associated with. But that was a little bit late in the game. He was already a global phenomenon by the time they, yeah. I don't know what his song was before that. And the Rick Derringer song is on. But that song doesn't name drop Hulk. That no, may have well, just been a piece of crap Rick Derringer had hanging around. Well, I, I, from like USO shows or something. I talk about it in the in the episode <laughs> that it, that song was originally for um, a a tag team mm-hmm. called the US Express, I believe was their name. That makes a and, lot more sense. Yeah, and they shortly after the record came out, they ended up leaving the WWF. And there's because there's another song on the record called Hulk Hogan's theme. Oh, okay. And I think that was. But then, so basically, when when the U.S. Express left, Real American ended up becoming Hulk Hogan's theme, uh, ring entrance music, and then that song that was called Hulk Hogan's theme, they ended up using as the theme song for the animated show. Oh, the, I, uh, Rock and Wrestling, Hulk Hogan's Rock oh, and sure. Wrestling. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, I, I, know. I absolutely yeah. remember that th- yeah. that show, right? Because I think they once they started playing up the rivalry with the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov by positioning them as the um, the infidel commie heels uh-huh. it made sense to position um hulk as the real american despite the fact his colors were pretty much the russian flag <laughs> never thought about that yeah. thank you shout out to my barber <laughs> i cannot take credit for that observation yeah the song that always comes to mind for me is junkyard, dog. junkyard dogs not terrible contribution <laughs> but it is just a song about grabbing butts it sure is yeah <laughs> Is uh, Tower of Power Horns on this? I'm not sure if they're on this song, but they are on another song. On the they're on the uh, or maybe not the entire Tower of Power Horns, but uh, Lenny Pickett, okay, who was in Tower of Power at one point, is now the SNL band leader. Uh, he plays on the Rowdy Rowdy Piper song, I think. Oh wow, I do not recall. Oh, is that him sort of like riffing and doing like insult comedy to a beat? Um, no, it's a, it's, it's another sing? cover. It's a <laughs> yeah, it's a song that. Uh, was oh who was the artist i think mike angelo uh it was like an old kind of punk song that then the original one i think i think the song is called the world may not like me and then it was kind of also known as fuck everybody but then uh for the family friendliness of the record it was changed to for everybody <laughs> i hate that i'm doing this this is not tony this was not my plan okay Okay, you know what? As far as cash-ins go, there's a lot more <laughs> shameless. Real effort was put into this. Yeah, there's a lot of legitimate musicians that play on this record. So funny. God, what a what a time. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing with 
doing this show is is I already had this giant list of records that I knew I would want to cover, and then I say on the show that if you know of any, like, please, you know, write to me, tweet at me, whatever. Mm-hmm. And people have been sending me stuff all the time, and I just have this enormous list going now. Uh, so it's like, and the 80s were especially full of this weird stuff. What so. is that? I'm so obsessed with that decade, and I know it's very polarizing. I know that there are the, well, and it tends to be people who are in a certain age range find it endlessly fascinating and people who are just a tiny bit older Mm -hmm. didn't find it interesting at the time and find it incredibly obnoxious that (laughs) that people are still talking about it because it is kind of still the dominant uh nostalgia you know oh yeah in in our in our culture and it never really fully goes away and occasionally comes roaring back you know taylor swift kind of single-handedly brought it back like i don't know there was just this hubris there was just this complete lack of shame and this complete lack of self-consciousness and it's easy to just give cocaine all the credit (laughs) but there was just something about this people took really fucking big swings yeah and didn't stop and think do i look like a complete asshole i know but but then sometimes it worked though i know a lot of times it did at least for a a hot second it worked for some people and even before that so um i'm was listening to the most recent episode of uh bizarre albums the terry bradshaw thing and uh did not i had no idea terry bradshaw had any musical background much less <laughs> that he'd recorded an album of country music after winning his second super bowl mm-hmm. and the assumption would be like i used to have a buddy that used to get drink used to get drunk and sing uh moon dance by uh-huh. dan morrison and was convinced that he had just this amazing you know, beat on that song and he was horrible. And I yeah. assume that the, at best that was that, that Terry Bradshaw was, um, um, you know, an egotistical drunken singer. And at mm-hmm. worst he just accepted a paycheck, but he's, I'm, I'm not a country expert. I think he's pretty good, right? Yeah. It kind of surprised me like in, in a way, uh, <laughs> not to, now I feel like I want to be like downplaying my, my own show, but I feel like in a way this episode I wanted to put this episode out now because I, I knew about the record existing and then I just so happened to find a copy like mm-hmm. a week ago. Um, so I kind of rushed to put it out because I was like, oh, yeah, and like the new football season just started. So it's like perfect timing to do this one. So I did. And but in a way, I was like, this one's almost not as fun because it's like it's not it's not my cup of tea, but it's not like he's not a terrible singer like it sounds takes, pretty good to me yeah for like what he's going for like yeah. he actually seems to be doing it fairly and he's, well and he's performing country standards essentially and you yeah. make the point that the same eight gentlemen played on literally every single album yeah. that came out of nashville for 30 solid years so you can't you know quality songs quality musicianship you've got a problem with the songs and the musicianship you just don't like the genre yeah for for a couple decades there and i thought bradshaw could sing and it's funny that he is became this media guy and his thing as being this yokel and being so self-effacing and you include the clip of him being on on uh, Jimmy Kimmel and him taking a shot at his music career yeah. because he knows that's what Terry Terry Bradshaw can't stand on ceremony and be like well actually you know I'm not a fucking really bad singer <laughs> but he knows for damn sure he's not and he, yeah. he, he is culturally obliged to shit on his music ability mm-hmm. knowing that he's he's actually better than uh, a lot of the jackass is making a living in that genre nowadays yeah well i i I applaud him for being able to poke fun at himself which i feel like you know somebody like bruce willis i don't know if he's gonna do that bruce willis's music career has been uh, been discussed at least twice Uh on on this show yeah that is that is unbelievable that's that's my buddy that got drunk and sang sang (laughs) yeah yeah that that's uh, that was one of my favorite uh episodes to work on so far too because that was that was one that admittedly when i was a kid i 
I liked that record, and I listened to it a lot. There are definitely videos of my cousins and I like lip syncing to songs from that. Shouldn't admit that, but I have already. And I had a whole yeah. dance routine to "Hurt So Good" by John Mellencamp. <laughs> we've all got it's our a, we've all got our stars. I mean, Tony. Hey, who's who's the more credible artist <laughs> uh, that history has looked it's back? It's fucking on. legitimate. <laughs> At least Bruce Willis was sort of making his own blueprint. Nobody was doing wine cooler songs before he came along. John Mellencamp just took. Bruce Springsteen out of New Jersey and stuck it in Kansas. <laughs> By the way, I'm glad you mentioned the wine coolers because I've had so many people angry at me for getting the uh, Seagram's Golden Wine Coolers wet, song stuck in wild. their head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I, I, I would say I have that. I get this stuck in my own head three to four times uh-huh. a year. Yeah. I, had, I, don't, I, had I don't almost need your help with that. I had almost forgotten about it and then kind of like in doing the research, like stumbled into that. I was like, oh my God, yes. Yeah. I just... That was, yeah, in my head for 20 years. If memory serves, I'd like to think it was him hosting Saturday Night Live. If not, it was somebody impersonating him. They had him doing a string of other um, commercial jingles, unless I've completely fabricated it in my brain, that were all the same song. Where he would just oh, really? change the name of the product and then go, it's wet and it's wild. My, my, my. And then play harmonica. <laughs> I don't remember that. I, I, would, I need to see this now. I think that happened. <laughs> I can't really be sure anymore. <laughs> uh, so let's take a listen to some of the things that you sent me. I, I'm sure I've heard of this musical project. I don't know that I have ever heard it before. Um, from the original Star Trek cast, William Shatner has a, in, to my mind, fairly distinguished musical career. Uh, you know, okay. Wait, people, are, people know about it. You're sure. a Ben Folds guy, yeah, right. Y- yes, I, I would assume. I would have to assume you enjoyed the album that Shatner did with Ben Folds. Has been, yeah. It's, it's a very it, good. It, it really is. Yeah. It was really surprised. Like, because I remember checking it out out of curiosity, yeah, just, and not really. I was like, the only and the only reason was because of Ben Folds being involved in it, yeah. and I was like, eh, it's worth checking out. And yeah, some some surprisingly good stuff on there. And there's a lot of good uh, other people on the record. Like there's a song, yeah, the I think the song called "That's Me Trying." That's the highlight. Yeah, that's not. It's and Amy Mann's on there too. And uh, and, and not yeah, only a, that, but a um, who is it? Nick Hornby or somebody like a very very uh well known, very good novelist. I think mm-hmm. wrote. I don't want to say the lyrics because it's a story. It's just him mm-hmm. telling a story. It's a it's a really cool novelist who wrote the story, and then it's Ben Folds and Amy Mann singing back up on it. Okay, I didn't. Uh, I don't think I even realized that. I yeah. knew Ben Folds did some stuff with Nick Hornby later. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty yeah. sure because the whole thing is it's a story of a, a guy uh, writing a letter to his estranged do- right. daughter, adult daughter. Right. I, I want to say that even even the guy who wrote the words was uh, was somebody. But anyway, that's the good music that came out of <laughs> the first generation of Star Trek. This I'm going to assume is something very uh, something. Yes, great. not as many people seem to know about the Leonard Nimoy's album. Song Ooh. called "The Ballad of Bilbo Baggins." Now, when you said ballad, I was expecting something a little different. Folks, you know, they're never in a hurry and they take things slow. They don't like to travel away from home. They just like to eat and be left alone. But one day, Bilbo was asked to go on a big adventure. Oh, I see. So this is uh, it's got a little bit of a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer <laughs> thing to it. <laughs> Do you know what the backstory is on that? I don't. I haven't um, done the research yet on that record. It's definitely going to be an upcoming episode, uh, but I have not gone down uh, that that, uh, research hole yet. I don't. Uh, you didn't even get to the chorus where oh, it will be stuck in your head the rest of the day. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> but it's not you too, maybe it's don't not want late. to do that. There you go. Bilbo, Bilbo <laughs> 
There you go. Wow. <laughs> wow. Did he drink? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one, one has to assume. It's so funny, too, because I don't see him. He's like the white Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like, I don't see him doing things lightly. Right. I'm pretty sure in his mind that was uh, a serious undertaking. I wouldn't be surprised if he was like, let me get another take. And they're like, dude, Spock, <laughs> that piece of shit's done. Yeah, there's a, there's a music video for that song, too. That's the only, that's the only other piece of information I can give you on that, that song. But uh, This next one that you sent me does not appear to be on Spotify. Unless no? I've, unless I've typed something wrong, which is... Uh, the, uh, that's okay. I also, I, I check, I personally, I'm an, I'm an Apple Music guy myself. I see. So okay. I just assumed Spotify as well. So weird that our phones aren't listening to us, and yet somehow my phone knows, every, <laughs> somehow the internet knows everything I'm going to do this weekend <laughs> on YouTube ads. It's time for the mash potato oh boy. attack. Yeah. Okay, so it's D.D. King. Yes. Now, AKA. D.D. Ramon. Yeah. So, well, yeah. He, he did drugs. He did. Uh, <laughs> and this, this record is a result of him becoming clean. Uh, oh, I see. So he got he, he he got off drugs. He saw the light. He, he um, found religion and decided to rap the monster mesh. <laughs> and uh, I don't think religion was involved. Okay, but uh, yeah, apparently he was he was in rehab in like '87, uh, and through people that he, oh that late this is '80 80- oh boy oh the, the that actually came out in '89, but I believe '87 oh, is when he started uh, exploring this in, mm-hmm. in rehab. I guess some people that he became friendly with in rehab uh just got him into rap and mm-hmm. then uh he ended up putting out a song called funky man as a single and uh and then shortly after that then in 89 he ended up quitting the ramones and then put out this rap album under the name dd king and it is uh truly bizarre do you think i, I don't know how much homework you've done on this do you think that he honestly thought i'll show them i'm gonna do this and it's gonna be successful or do you think he just needed to get away from the ramones and this is just the thing he happened to do next i think it's maybe somewhere in the middle uh-huh. like he definitely just he definitely wanted to do it and it seems like he needed to do something to like you know he was he was off drugs trying to be clean uh but he was also really he was unhappy in the Ramones. And... It seems like a really miserable place to be. Oh, yeah. Like, Johnny Ramone seemed like the most unfun person to ever live. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I think he just did it. But I think then, after the fact, and I, the episode that I do, I, you know, play some clips of him talking about it. And he, like, even admits years later, he's like, it wasn't that good. And he, mm-hmm. You know, and he, he, he kind of knows it wasn't great. I don't know if he felt that way while he was making it. But at least years later, he looked back on it. To, and admit not his best work anything that kept dd off the streets i guess yeah so the next one that you sent me is an album that has long been near and dear to my heart i remember um the last job that i had i I wrote a radio show for carson daly and so everybody wanted to get their stuff placed there Uh so they would constantly be like do you think carson daly would be interested in fill in the blank and i'd be like 
I can't say for sure, but I definitely think there's a real chance. And that's how I'd end up with like DVD box sets of Mystery Science Theater and other mm-hmm. things that were never, ever, ever going to be mentioned there. So you can imagine my delight when I received a press release saying that Macho Man Randy Savage had made his first <laughs> foray into the hip hop realm. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of <coughs> weird rap albums. And weird um, pro wrestling music. Yeah. So, and this is an especially weird one. Because okay. well, he's a little goes out to my real close friend and buddy, Kurt Hennig, aka Mr. Perfect. Just want to let you know that you're missed, but you'll never be forgotten. You've always been an incredible friend. We just want you to know that we got your back. Buddy system style for the Lacho man, Randy Savage. You think buddy system was like a Stay cocaine lingo thing they had? We know you're in a better place. I don't. No, like, my thing with this one, well, first of all, the, the this one also has a chorus that will just well, stick well, well, in your head. But uh, I don't know if anybody can pay attention to what you're yeah, saying when Macho yes, Man's rapping I, in the background, so we'll, just, we'll, we'll duck in and out. Yes, yes, yes. But no, I just wanted to say, like, what, what fascinates me about this one so much, uh, and again, I have not uh, covered this yet, but I can't wait to, and I've had a lot of people requesting this one. Um, you know, when you hear certain ones, like especially like this, where it's like this at this, you know, he was probably in his mid forties or something when he oh, did this. Oh, this is way after the hangout. yeah, and um, and you think like Macho Man doing a rap album, and you think like, oh, this has to have like he can't be taking this seriously. Like this has to be kind of like for fun, kind of having a laugh. But- Particularly because the culture was already in that place where people sending up, like as we said, the eighties took itself so seriously. Yeah. It was so unironic. It yeah. became this really cool thing post Nirvana to make fun of yourself and you yeah. can make another run of that. But no. Yeah. Well, cause yeah, I think this was either late nineties <laughs> or early two thousands, early two thousands. Yeah. yeah. So, but the, this is the song though, that like really go, wait, well, wait, maybe he is taking this seriously because this is a song about his friend that, died yeah and yeah well and the funny thing is it's not too hard to try to surmise like what the uh the motivations and the background conversations obviously somebody comes to him and says i think you could do this and it does make a weird sort of sense because so much of hip-hop particularly in 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 those days was just about you know braggadocio if that's the way you say that word everybody knows what i'm trying to say Uh and that's so much of what the mic stuff and pro wrestling is about and having a unique delivery. Well, who has a more unique delivery than mm-hmm. Randy Macho Man Savage? So it does make a weird sort of sense. And somebody, I don't think he knew where to find like a recording studio or a beat or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, so I yeah. have to think somebody approached him about it. And I'd love to know if that backup singer knows that they're on this track. And if so, what they, <laughs> what they think about this entire right. project. But you can also tell that it had to, he must have embraced it. It had to be more than yeah. like, okay, what, what, you know, it's not Krusty the Clown just putting his face yeah. on stuff. Because I, I picture him saying, okay, but the thing is, I'd really like to do a thing for my buddy Kurt Henning, you know? And they're like, dude, we don't fucking care. We need 10 songs. Yeah. As long as you fucking call, as long as you insult Hulk Hogan on three of them, that's uh, all. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Right. Because, yeah, it starts off that way. So you think, okay, this is like what, you know, this is what I thought it would be. kind of. But then it gets to a song about his his dead friend. And you're like, oh, wait, he's taking this seriously. Oh, they go on. He still looked incredible on the album cover. Yeah. Tanned to perfection. 
<laughs> he had his look fucking dialed to the end. Yes, he did. If you're gonna do, if you're gonna go bald from steroids, try, start working the bandana in as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, it's not a, <laughs> smart. Smart. <laughs> Smarter guy than a lot of people uh-huh, realize. Uh-huh. Uh, Randy Savage. <laughs> and then next, you have sent me a um, a Christmas selection, and Christmas oh, yeah. is is the best. Yes, because. Um, it's especially if you're already a pretty silly act. It's like the silly acts that are willing to do Christmas stuff. And um, you're allowed to be particularly sort of childish. I've done a whole episode on uh, on this show of just absolutely insane Christmas music. Yes. And um, this song, I want to say, was not that long ago. No. Also, I would say it like in the last 10 years, probably. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. Right. I'm in that phase of my life where if, 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 if it feels like it was two years ago, it's probably not. I, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. Right. So um, this was one of those things that I remember hearing about it when it came out. Some solid double bass there from a guy who probably is not actually the drummer of <laughs> Twisted Sister. <laughs> oh, they're going to do the... The 12 Days? Yes, which... Is there a single version of 12 Days of Christmas anywhere that's not bad? Because, like, I I am a huge Christmas lover. Same. Uh, But I feel like this is the song that there's just... It's kind of hard to do a good version of. It can't be done, huh? I'm trying to think, because even if somebody really, really cool devoted themselves to coming up with, like, 12 things somebody would actually want, yeah. you still need to repeat them absolutely <laughs> exactly. ad nauseum on that. I don't know what you what the musical term is when you just hammer one note over and over and over again, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. It, yeah. it doesn't feel good to listen to it. No. And, like, and so that's always just, like, a, a weird one, and then that version is just so... Re- First of all, the fact that Twisted Sister put out a Christmas album is insane. And then, uh, but at the same time, this is also one of those where like, well, all right, they're having fun, right? Like they're not really taking this seriously. I think they were never really taking themselves all that seriously. Maybe we were just too little to realize that when D. Snyder is, you know, wearing Edie McClurg makeup on the cover (laughs) of an album holding a bone, that maybe he was also in on the joke. Right. And honestly, anytime I see interviews with D. Snyder, he seems kind of awesome. I think he seems like... Like he's clearly intelligent, and yeah, yeah. oh, and he just, lo- seems... just just ask him about the time he went in front of Congress. <laughs> I don't know if you know about that, but oh, D, yes, D, I know. D's not not shy about telling that story. But no, I've met I've met him, and he is he is a bright guy, and um... he just he seems like a nice guy. I don't I, maybe I'm wrong, but he seems he seems like he he would be a nice guy, a family oriented guy, and I, I think he's another one of those guys. And there's turns out there was more of them than we ever realized who legitimately was a teetotaler the entire time, and he got his kicks wearing Edie McClurk makeup and holding a bone. Uh-huh. That was as wild as it got for him, and he loved <laughs> pretending to be wild, but really that that was the wild part of it. And he also, I want to say, put out some solo music in the last, like, five years, and I think it really might just be in the last five years, that was not Widowmaker or whatever his other side band was, that was, like, not that terrible. Really? Yeah. It was like, is this is this the best song D. Snyder has ever made? I mean, we've <laughs> got a really low bar here, but I think this might be okay. He also wait, but he also did a. Um, it's it, it's hard to make fun of it because it's it was for a really really good cause and a really sad cause, which fails me right now. But he did, uh, I think, a piano version of "We're Not Gonna Take It." 
Really? Yeah. I don't think I know about this. If you listen to it, it's funny. If you see the music video, you feel, yeah. bad. You feel bad for making it. It's for like, it's, it's, it's his perfect friend. It, the Macho Man song. Yes, that's exactly. Just, yes, that's exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one's from the heart. <laughs> Let me see. I have another one that I'm unable to find on any streaming service. Oh, so. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to. Oh, is okay. this, is this my last one? I, yes. I forget where we're at here. Yeah, yeah this is. is this is an especially. Uh, <coughs> oh, oh, okay. Are you aware of this? No, I am not. But I'm so excited about this. Like I said, there's some some uh, uh, crossover between what you do and, and and what I do and what I'd like to do. I have on my long list of uh, upcoming episodes just an episode on contractual obligation uh-huh. albums. Um, I haven't listened to a lot of the most notorious ones. I feel like Lou Reed's is the one that comes up. Okay, most. yeah. I, there's a lot of them I have not heard myself yet that are kind of on my list that i haven't gone into yet but. so lou reed being lou reed it's i think metal machine music that sounds right it's yeah. something like that it's one or two it's two or three m words and it was a double album of feedback <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't want to listen to that and for people who don't contractual obligation is exactly what it sounds like you signed a deal for x amount of of albums and you um are no longer satisfied with the record company that you're with so you just poop out an album to get off of the the uh the label the the most mild form of this tends to be the greatest hits album mm-hmm. when somebody just says well you know you, you don't really you know when you've ever have you ever seen a band where you're like why do they have a greatest hits album they've only got like two songs yeah. a lot of times that was the one that got right. them out of the the contract but the weird thing is lou reed being lou reed i don't think he would ever admit that that was actually what he was doing i think right. he swore to his grave that that was like a real album and there was just enough like German tweakers who were like, I listen to it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I, I'm I, I'm definitely familiar with some of the more notorious ones. I don't think I ever knew that Van Morrison made one. He certainly seems cantankerous enough to have made one. Yeah, I j- only recently learned about this uh, a few months ago. Okay, and it's it's pretty fascinating. I can see by the look on your face. That you've got ringworm. <laughs> I'm very sorry, but I have to tell you that you've got ringworm. <laughs> Didn't even bother tuning the guitar. No. Either. Is that two things playing at the yes, same time? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I was wondering what was happening there. I knew I was hearing. Oh, and now we just have some. What the fuck is that? <laughs> oh my god, Twisted Sister. <laughs> How did that. That's odd. Man, you truly cannot stop rock and roll. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so yeah, so Van Morrison sat down with his buddy, said, make sure that guitar is not tuned. They got really <laughs> drunk, and he just improvised. Yeah, the, the, the whole record, um, and apparently it never actually came out until officially until a couple of years ago. They put out this kind of like box set thing that F finally had put this this out like officially uh but yeah it's apparently it was um i think burt burns was the guy who produced uh like brown eyed girl and and some of the more successful stuff he had done burt burns died uh and then van morrison was still under contract uh and i think he had to do like he still owed them like 31 songs or something he was dealing with this guy's wife now and he wanted out of the deal and she was like no you you have to give I may be screwing this story up a little bit, but it's something along these lines. Yeah. And so he just went in the studio and shit out 31 songs, like, back to back. Like, I literally feel like 
uh, it seems almost like the album is in real time. Because I, I think it very likely was. Yeah. When you're operating out of spite, I think you take it to the nth degree. That's why you make sure that the guitar is out of tune. Yes. Yeah, so it's, the guitar is not in tune the entire time. He's just clearly making up every song as they go. Like a lot of the first uh, several songs are like stomp and twist, twist and mash mash and stomp like it's it's yeah. just and, and uh and then yeah it gets weirder as it goes on like that one's called ringworm and and there's something about like dum dum gym or something like that it's it's just it's it's really crazy and i was talking to um this this guy ryan walsh who wrote a book about van morrison uh and he he made a good point about this is he said while it's really hilarious that he did this it's also incredibly mean because like he's doing this to this to guy's widow. widow yeah yeah and uh it's a it's a weird it's a weird combo of hilarious and super mean at the same time i don't know a whole lot about van morrison but i don't know that you would find a lot of people who would argue who know him who have dealt with him who would argue if you said he was an asshole right yeah i'm kind of in that same boat i don't know a ton either but that's kind of the impression i'm getting yeah. i know i've seen him dressed like dark man for people who remember that movie on uh <laughs> on david letterman <laughs> and he would like do i've not seen that he would do dark man no 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 uh, no i mean i remember oh, yeah, i'm yeah, saying yeah. this he's like on letterman and, and i just remember watching it at the time and he does this dick thing that we all hate when artists do which i want to say he played like moon dance or into the mystic one of the big ones but refused to sing it the right way oh, yeah it's like it's mama's nut Mm-hmm. And and just like completely off time and stuff like that. And it's like nobody forced you to go on Letterman. Yeah. You didn't have to right. be here. <laughs> Somebody else would have sung their song properly. That is I don't know why that isn't a, a, a bigger deal. Um I, I guess we didn't used to have the ability with the internet to sort of mass shame artists, but when you I remember seeing Meatloaf and I think he did the chorus of uh two out of three ain't bad and the first time he did it like perfectly uh-huh and then just for the whole rest of the 37 minute song like just didn't do it right again and it's like you've just demonstrated it's what i i really have a, a shit ton of sympathy if you wrote a song when you were 19 yeah. and you still got a tour it and you're 15 you can't sing it anymore you know mm-hmm. i actually feel bad when i listen to fleetwood mac perform rihanna and and Stevie Nicks drops the note on the chorus every single time. I think she feels just as bad as I do. Right. But they got to play Rhiannon. But when you when you know the band can sing the hook mm-hmm. and they refuse to sing the hook. Yeah. Like that is like a beer throwing offense. Mm hmm. I, I agree. That's another kind of rabbit hole I like going down sometimes is just finding those like uh, weird slash bad train wreck late night performances of uh, just... Like the the Chili Peppers on SNL when John Frusciante was mad at Anthony Kiedis, so he like intentionally butchers the song pretty much. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of those fun ones like the Hives on Letterman or not the Hives the the Vines on Letterman. Have you seen that performance? Uh, I feel like I might have. They were the they were the least of the the thes. Yeah, the, the somethings no, I, of I agree. the garage rock. Yeah, I, I agree. I was never really into them, but this this is worth looking up when okay. you have a moment because it is it's truly. It like what an asshole <laughs> this singer is. I don't know what how much I can hold him responsible, but I, I tweeted a clip within the last year or two. Of, I, I came across John Bon Jovi at Bon Jovi's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, when they were inducted. Their performance of uh-huh. "Living on a Prayer" is 
is bad. And I know John Bon Jovi always struggled vocally live. So I don't blame him for having some session guys who are hitting the high notes in the background. Like I say, you got to do what you got to do. But he's perfectly capable of singing. John used to work on the docks. Yeah. But he's got this really, it sounds like someone is choking Bob Dylan. <laughs> it sounds great. That description is great. <laughs> it's so odd. And, and he's a guy where I don't see him being like, fuck this. I wasn't even going to show up. Like, I feel like it means everything to John Bon Jovi to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of yeah. Fame. He always wanted the trophies and stickers and to be a good right. boy. And it's like, you're here. And I always think of him and Madonna in the same uh, the same vein of where they just don't. John Bon Jovi has musical ability in in the respect that he's written a ton of great songs. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was made to be a singer. I think he just wanted to be the singer of a band. He really, right. in a perfect world, should have had a different singer. He just doesn't have the chops, but he tries so hard. Mm-hmm. I love when you could see him. I, I remember seeing him on Saturday Night Live singing, uh, oh. Uh-huh. And you could just like see the vocal instructor over his shoulder. <laughs> and Madonna was the same thing when Madonna decided that she wanted to learn how to sing a little bit. Yeah. It's like, oh, look at you. You're trying. You're really phrasing right now, aren't you? <laughs> uh, can, I, can I tie this all together Please. now? Is, uh, do you know the weird fact about John Bon Jovi tying in with Bizarre Albums here of uh, his first recorded performance on an album? Oh, my God. I do know. Oh, Fuck, I'm going to forget. So his cousins or uncles or something owned the power station? Something along that. That part I'm not 100% there's of the a re- details. There's a but... recording studio that yes. was in like South Jersey or maybe in, in Philly. And he used to be a studio rat. Because again, I, I have all kinds of respect for John uh-huh. Bon Jovi and certain elements of what he does. And there's tons of demos of like a teenage Bon Jovi doing like proto versions of like Runaway and stuff yeah. like that. You can find that stuff. But God damn it. Refresh my memory. Yes. Well, I, I, first, I think it's his cousin, and I think his name's Tony Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. Yeah, yeah. Bon Jovi. Right, yeah. And uh, uh, so, uh, Tony worked on, uh, it, from 1980, I believe, the Christmas in the Stars album, which is the Star Wars Christmas album. Yes, 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 And yes. there's a song called R2-D2, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Oh my God, yeah, yeah, right. And John Bon Jovi credited... As John Bon Jovi, like the 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 real spelling of his last name, that is his first uh, recorded performance on an album. I actually want to say that I I probably um, played that on the episode of Christmas music that I did on the show, which is yeah. now like two years ago now. Yeah, I'm excited to cover this record come Christmas time. Arthur, where are you? It's so funny how the Star Wars franchise was. Overseen and 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 uh, curated so tastefully in mm-hmm. so many ways, <laughs> and then there's just these little like the special, the TV special, yeah. and this, and like I feel like it's a testament to how huge it was that these things didn't kill it. No, it was unkillable. Yeah, I think it also had to have something to do with the fact that if if it flopped, it went away. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, flops just get. Lorded right. over. I mean, Jiggly is probably. Is, I've never seen it, but I guarantee you it's not as bad as this album. <laughs> right. There's John. <laughs> Chimney. Sometimes you need three syllables, Tony, okay? No, oh, those kids are great. <laughs> All heart those kids. <laughs> I like to think about things now that I've gotten old too. Of like, 
oh yeah, those kids, they're older than me now. I know. <laughs> like, I swear to God, I did an album with John Bon Jovi and R2-D2. <laughs> okay, so I pulled up the uh, the list of tracks that I have prepared for your listening pleasure, and um, I'm very impressed to see that Childish Gambino, a.k.a. Donald Glover, has covered one of the songs. Really? I don't, like, you know when you're just like, I'm not really interested in watching or listening to a whole lot from Celebrity X, but I just like the cut of their jib. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I come down on, on Donald. I still haven't gotten around to watch Atlanta. I'm pretty sure it won't be my favorite show ever. I don't really see myself getting into Childish Gambino, but uh-huh. I just I think the world is a much better place for Donald Glover I, being here. I'm kind of in that same boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, that, that's a then that's all of the evidence. That that <laughs> I think that finally cements it. Um so this this is a, a legendary artist and apparently this was a top five song, and I do not believe that I have ever heard it before. I certainly don't know it well. I don't know if maybe you will instantly recognize this. It's sounding familiar, but it's not Kenny Loggins. It seems both familiar and not familiar at the same time. It might just be reminding me of something. I think that might be failed generic crap. (laughs) (laughs) But even the the voice, I feel the voice should be familiar. Actually, a little bit, a little bit more to this performance than I would have expected from this guy. Not Richard Marks either. I know that that did cross my mind sure. for a second. I think it kind of has to. Yeah. I don't know. I definitely know that voice, but I can't place it. Um. Well, not too many people are familiar with Chris Gaines's work. <laughs> but uh, although his one and only album produced a top five hit and did make it to number two on the charts, wow! Yeah, many I... more copies were shipped back to the record label than um, were sold at the WalMarts of America. That is, of course, the alter ego of. Garth Brooks. Yes, I'm very aware of the record. I just did not, I did not remember, I couldn't pull any of the songs by, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, it's like one of those infamous records that I is definitely on my list and people love requesting that one. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm like keeping that one in my pocket for a little, I feel like I want to save that one for like a, a momentous episode or, you know, like if I hit episode, whatever, you know. 100, yeah, yeah, Because yeah, yeah, it that's... feels like, it, it seems like the one everybody wants me to do and I want to, you know, keep them waiting a little bit. I always felt bad for him for that because I I really support the idea. You know, um, I always think you you mentioned the Chili Peppers. I don't know if they feel this way, but if I were them, I would consider myself a prisoner of that sound. Mm -hmm. You just maybe really just you just love running back. Yeah, but I do now like again and again and again. (laughs) But my God, it would just drive me fucking. I think Flea probably likes it. Yeah. But, uh, um, as a mental exercise, trying to come up with more base shit that works mm-hmm. in that in that framework. I, I, but uh, when you, you know, there's a downside to coming up with a signature sound, and that is that that is your signature sound. And the idea of I want to see if I could just start completely all over again. I just think it needed to be a uh, a much cooler, much savvier guy. Yeah, because because other bands have done it and don't who, get as much shit for it. Who can but, you think of that has that's pulled off the alter ego thing, like really pulled it off? Uh, it? Well, I'm trying to think of like somebody that like really success. I can't think of like a necessarily <laughs> a huge success mm-hmm. story, 
I mean, you could uh, not really, though. I was going to say in a way you could make the argument for Sergeant Pepper, but not really, though. No. You know, and, yeah, and they claim it's a concept record, but like they didn't. It still says the Beatles on the album. And when Beyonce was Sasha Fierce, it still yeah. sounded a whole hell of a lot like Beyonce. Yeah. Um, At least Prince sped his voice up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just learned about that recently. About Are you talking about this? Uh, were you a Camille? To, like, he, was a, yeah. he was a woman? Yes. I literally, like a week ago, just found out about this. I've just been, yeah. Another guy who I just, I, I, I suck. I, I have horrible taste. I've never, like, really fully connected with, like, the deep cuts of, of Prince's catalog. But mm-hmm. you can't help but just marvel at at his, you know, his gift. And uh, I was listening to the Bangles a bunch for some weird reason. And it just made me, like, go, hey, wait, how many people was he writing songs for? And at a certain yeah. point, he had so many hit songs, he couldn't, like, compete with himself anymore. <laughs> so he starts the time. Which is just another band to do his songs, and he farms out everything a, a woman can sing to the Bangles and Sinead O'Connor and yeah. Sheila E and Sheena Easton. Not to say those people didn't, you know, make up their own songs as well, but we all know all those hits. And then he makes up the female alter ego Camille, so he can record stuff as Camille. And then there's the artist Christopher, or Christopher something. Like if you look at um, Manic Monday uh-huh. by the Bangles, it is not credited to Prince; it's credited to Christopher. Really, Christopher's I last didn't, name. I didn't know that. It's, it's it's astounding. Like wherever crazy. the wherever the absolute epicenter is, I would love for somebody to to break it down for me. Uh-huh. Like what was the what was the critical mass of Prince? Because yeah. there had to be like a month or a, a four month period or something where that guy just produced like twenty songs that we all know. Mm-hmm. And there had been a lot of shit before that, and there would be a lot of shit after that. But at yeah. a certain point, when he hit critical mass, I I I would almost. I can't think of a more exciting body to be able to, you know, quantum leap and live inside. Yeah. For a little while. It's it's crazy. Did the did the Camille stuff actually <laughs> get an official release or is it I don't think it got an okay, official release. I, I think you can find a lot of it. It yeah. doesn't really work. You know, it sounds like uh-huh. Prince sped up. Yeah. It's so <laughs> crazy. Yeah, literally I never knew about that like a week ago. Yeah. Just found out. So this next one, you're not a uh guitar guy, and that's a huge Huge hint. So I don't know why you would know that this exists. I actually weirdly will listen to and uh, enjoy this in a strange way. It's a sweet Lynn drum machine. <laughs> it's recorded in a in a backyard. Definitely have no clue what this is. It's pretty maddening. (laughs) (laughs) This is, um, okay, I think you got the idea. Maybe we'll pull it back up for the chorus. Maybe I'll spare everybody that. Um, Before, uh, after doing his apprenticeship with uh, Frank Zappa, before being recruited to essentially replace Eddie Van Halen as David Lee Roth's hired gun guitar player, Steve Vai put out an album recorded in his backyard called Flexible which has a couple of guitar jams that people would expect yeah. Steve Vai to perform that are still, I'm sure, performed live and then just... Oh my God, they're still doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so when it, when is this from? Um, 84, maybe? Okay. Oh God, we missed the course. I can't... I can't <laughs> it's, and there's a number of... Um, it's just, it's odds and ends. And he actually ended up putting out another album called uh, Flexible Leftovers, there, each song is just like an entity unto itself. It, one's like a, it's literally called the boy girl song, and it's like a like a 
almost like a Happy Days theme song style track, but where a guy does a, a vocal and a girl does a, a vocal. And then there's a song told from the point of view of a guy who's uh, who's dying from heroin. All right. Fun. It's, it's an incredible. <laughs> it's all over the place. Is, is uh, what I'm getting at. That's yeah, that's great. I had no idea. Obviously, I'm familiar with Steve Vai, but yeah, sure. I did not know about that. Uh, do you know about speaking of Steve Vai? Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually just got uh, found a copy on vinyl. I was very excited because it's a thing I've brought up to a few people, and literally only like one person that I know even had any memory of this. And uh, do you know that, that David Lee Roth put out a Spanish version of Eat 'em and Smile? That sounds exactly right. No, I did not know that. Yeah. Just called, a different, different lead vocal, but same yeah, music tracks. I, yeah, and I believe that it's called like Sonrisa, Sonrisa Salvaje. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but that's... David Lee's a man of the world. <laughs> He's a real interesting cat man. I love his his autobiography is worth a read in my opinion. It it totally downplays any any of Eddie Van Halen's contributions. He, yeah. he says that you know Valerie Bertinelli hit on him first and she rejected him. <laughs> <laughs> but the amazing thing is I find it a pretty compelling read despite the fact that he condenses Van Halen into like 20 pages of it. Mm-hmm. It's so amazing to 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 be able to live inside that guy's brain. It's like this is exactly <laughs> how he thinks about shit. But he's yeah. lived an interesting enough life that he actually could sustain your uh attention without glossing over the really the one thing that anybody gives a shit about. Right. You know? Right. Um let me see. This guy here. I never thought I'd uh, cut a record by myself, but I got something I want to say. I want to say it for share, and I hope I say it for a lot of people. Why can't I? I mean, Sonny Bono. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, uh, he decided to write a song about being a little bit different and hoping society could still see his inner goodness and accept him for what he was. It mm-hmm. was, he was really going out on a, on a lyrical limb based on, you know, the other stuff he'd done to that point. Cher had, you know, obviously they had their success together and Cher had made two or three successful albums. And while she was off making what was going to be another huge hit album, Sonny mm-hmm. Bono went off and made his one and only solo album. Really? He only did one. And it did... I don't think I knew that. It did extremely poorly. Interesting. I mean, to me, as somebody who's never been into this brand of stuff, I'm like, I don't know, why wasn't this successful too? Like, it's all just really shitty Bob Dylan stuff. Yeah. That's what I was just, yeah, this sounds, how does it feel? I know. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, but apparently the the world had very, very, very little interest in, in Sonny Bono's work if he wasn't flanked by the pretty lady. Wow! Yeah, I I would have guessed he had a ton of solo albums, right? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. I would have thought that he he like went synth pop in the eighties and shit. Yeah. Um, I have to think that um, this is something that you are aware of, and this is something that's been talked about quite a bit. Um, and I first became aware of it because of the uh, you must remember this podcast mm-hmm. that in nineteen eighty Frank Sinatra released a triple album. I, again, something I've learned about only recently, actually. Is this incredibly ambitious? Oh, shit. Sorry about that. Still got Sonny Bono going. I'm telling you, man. Um, allergies. The struggle is real. <laughs> I understand. I'm a, f- I'm a fellow sufferer. Not having problems right now, though. I don't know what 
season I get them or what my triggers are. I didn't yeah. use to get I had it this for a week before I finally was like, let me try sticking some Zyrtec up my nose. And apparently it works, <laughs> but it's very much a mixed bag. The um, the the medicine is, uh, the, the cure is sort of an affliction in its own right. Right, right. <laughs> I would choose to have a magic wand that I could use. So it's multiple discs, right? So it's and, three discs. And different a different kind of theme on each one, right? Is that the... So one, it came out in 1980. One is, um, is his first album of standards that he'd recorded in 20 years, and that uh-huh. was The Past. And then um, 19... The, the present disc was... Um, I, I weren't exactly pop songs because like New York, New York is on that. The version of New York, New York that everybody knows was a uh-huh. hit single in 1980. And really? I, yeah. That's it's insane. very, yeah. And I don't know when people would think that that is from because yeah. it just, just sounds like it belongs to an earlier era, but that was literally a, I don't know if it was like number one or whatever, but that was a single that was successful. The world became acquainted with that song. Like growing up in New York, I was a huge Yankees fan. We used to go to the Yankee stadium when the Yankees win, they play the Sinatra version of New York, New York. When they lose, they play the Liza Minnelli version of it. Uh-huh. And in, in my, I had no idea I was listening to a song that was seven years old. Yeah. I thought crazy. it was a 47 yeah, years old. I've always thought that. Yeah. But the most fascinating thing about this, this uh, album is that there's the past, the present, and then there's this very ponderous disc called The Future, mm-hmm. where Frank and a bunch of like Disney-fied backup singers speculate on what the world will look like in the year 2000 (laughs) and supposedly um not supposedly there's a guy he's pretty well known radio guy i think his name is jonathan schwartz was talking about it on um like npr am radio in new york and was just crapping all over this thing and frank sinatra heard it and called in and got the guy suspended (laughs) (laughs) I've already I've already gone past uh, we're way over time here so I'm just gonna keep moving I went past the point where the backup singers were uh, singing about spaceships and little green men and stuff like that yeah that's that's uh, again that's another one that I'm I'm excited to explore but I just I have not gotten the time to do that yet um you know that there is an album of um of just Elvis Presley talking yes I I again have not heard it but I'm mm-hmm. aware okay yes. yeah because let me see where is this can get good um I didn't know what the story was with this. It's hard to really not have uh, sympathy for Elvis. Obviously, everybody you know is responsible for their actions and makes their bed and what have you. Uh, I was doing so many movies and I couldn't really do what I could do. You know, they would say action and I'd go, "What? What? Huh? Memphis?" You know. <laughs> I said, "That ain't what you're supposed to say." And I said, "Huh?" So anyway. It all kept going, and I really wanted to come back, and so this is that's why I'm here tonight, and uh, I just want to give you a brief... Uh, so it's just it's 37 minutes of... Well, uh, what is the album called? Having Fun with Elvis on Stage. <laughs> um, and that that came out after he died before nope. he died? No, no that okay. was he was he I didn't was, know if that was like a cash grab after the fact it was a cash grab well yeah. obviously but uh, still. a cash grab and what I find interesting about it other than the fact that it just simply exists is I guess Colonel Tom Parker looked at the contract with I think RCA was the label and um, decided that RCA only owned Elvis when he was making music mm-hmm. so he's like well what can I release 
with Elvis's name on it that they wouldn't get any money from. Uh-huh. So he just cobbles together all these things of Elvis. I mean, it, w- it wasn't as... I, definitely nobody ever said, hey, Elvis, we're going to put out an album of you talking, <laughs> yeah. so maybe try to come up with some cool stories. <laughs> it's literally him just mumbling and... and, and Have you heard all of it? No, you, you can. The whole, the, the, all 37 minutes and... 38 seconds of it is on YouTube. No, I, I flipped around and it didn't seem like there were good parts or bad yeah, parts. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is it actually entertaining or is it literally just, okay, this is just a guy talking? It's just a guy talking and uh, Colonel Tom Parker sold it at Elvis concerts because he got to keep all of the money. So was it not available in stores I don't. Or I don't know that it was available in stores. Um, I, I don't know because I know that Elvis was really embarrassed by it and he ended up getting it... Um, like removed from his catalog, which would yeah. seem to imply that at a certain point it was right. distributed beyond beyond that. But I don't know. I, I don't know anything about Elvis or his relationship with you know Tom Parker or what uh, dirt he had on him or something. But for him to be on stage talking about, so I'm making this fucking movie and I don't know what the <laughs> fuck I'm doing. Man, I'm not a movie star. I'm just a singer. And I'm just like, why won't you let me sing? Why am I making another shitty movie? Uh-huh. And then to have a guy. Take that audio of you doing that and to put that on a record clearly against your will. Yeah, it's how it's could, what, was he always such a broken man that he literally could not stop this guy from doing it? Or was it just simply that he had signed like the mother of all ridiculous contracts? That's a great question. I, I, I yeah, I gotta, I gotta do some exploring, gotta do some research because that's it is fascinating. Uh, I, I want to, I, I want to know the details. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, finally, um, you know that there was like a real successful album of um, the songs of the Humpback Whale? No. (laughs) Really? So I started looking up stuff uh, that I wanted to talk to you about, and one of the... um, Rolling Stone has this whole thing on their website where they just have to like make amends and mea culpas for things that they said 30 years ago. So Uh there's like all these albums of artists that they just like worship at the altar of that they crapped all over the album when it came out like there's just okay. like terrible uh, rolling stone reviews of like multiple beatles albums yeah and stuff like that so there's also this thing about where they're like here are really 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 weird albums that we recommended to people in uh-huh. the 1970s and i think this was the golden age of hey guys you want to get high and <laughs> and songs of the humpback whale was like not some fringe thing it was like a thing that if you like hey guys when we're done with dark side of the moon i think this is slowed down humpback whales this song's gonna be stuck in my head all day do you know what's really crazy now this is where they put the the delay on it (laughs) my wife i was listening to this yesterday and my wife was on hold with a bank and their hold music and this was like uh, it was like an Enigma record. <laughs> yeah, I I want to say that that was a uh, that was a minor phenomenon. Um, yeah, acid. Uh, wow, acid giveth and acid taketh away when it comes to what people choose to do with their uh, their free time while while on it. I have to let you go. So uh, thank you very much for coming by. Thanks so much for having me. I could talk about stuff like this all day. I so would just, love to. Let's do this again sometime. I'm really, really love to. happy chatting about these uh, these sorts of things. You're at Tony 
Thaxton on Twitter, I'm guessing on Instagram as well? Correct. Is it at Bizarre Albums? Yep, on both Instagram and Twitter as well. Good for you getting that. Yeah. All right, well, it's a fun show. I'm enjoying listening to it, and uh, it's like 20 minutes. It's a, yeah, it's a think, nice quick listen. I think you're doing the right thing. Thank I, you. I'm going to get the show down to like five or six minutes, and I think it's really <laughs> going to take off. <laughs> we'll see you next time.